I've talked it over with the the thriving crew here, and I'm just like, I don't really know why it fits into the category of mental health. Um, the movie is made famous for Colin Farrell and his dad bod, and got to make sure to mention his dad bod. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Dave. Thanks for joining Bob and I for our podcast, Thriving in Dystopia. And even though we always try and be professionals, sometimes we swear. So just know that going in. Uh, in this in this godforsaken world, it's good to be in the sound studio. You guys, <laughs> yeah. I've been I've been waiting here for a whole week, just sitting in the studio, <laughs> waiting for you guys. Oh, Dave, we've got a few things to tell you about the state of the world, my my friend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, and all I'm just gonna say it. We accidentally deleted the second half of last week's. We double recorded, and we're coming back. We got Dave Harris a week later, and he's back with us. And we decided we were gonna th- we were thinking about pretending that it was a week later, and we were pretending that or a week ago, and we're pretending it's the future. But instead, we just had some good content. We're sitting here chatting about. RBG and Brianna Taylor, and it's just like the question just got posed. I said, uh, last Friday was just so rough. And Bob said, Yeah, just hit the record button there, Dave. So, yeah, how are you guys feeling after all this news? Yeah, you know, I, I had an equally rough last Friday night um, when news came out that RBG passed away. I was playing soccer with some friends and in a in a very like smoke filled environment, you know, here in here in Denver, so I had a lot of trouble breathing anyway. And then we we took a pause in the game, and someone had checked their phone and told everybody. And then I felt just like this tremendous pain in my chest that I wasn't sure if it was from the smoke or from the news, and it was just very very intense. And um, I think just in the week since then, it's been very dystopian, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is how the show feels sometimes, Dave, you know, it's like, welcome to the thriving crew. We're so glad to have you, but it's like, damn, it's like, I want to talk about movies, but it's like the world is falling apart around us, you know? Well, I'm glad to be here, but, uh, yeah, it's weird, you know, and then not to just focus on this, but then of course the Trump's rumored nominee, uh, that he's trying to fast track through, through the system, Amy Coney Barrett. I don't know if you guys have looked at her at all, but she's you know a very staunch conservative, very pro-life, highly critical of Roe v. Wade, and she's a member of this controversial Christian community that's called the People of Praise, and their members make this lifelong commitment that's known as the Covenant, and they're they have female leaders that are known as Handmaids. So, you know, naturally many people have been talking about The Handmaid's Tale and and making connections to that. You know, this is just like this scary, potentially long-lasting impact that could be made that would put the Supreme Court in this really imbalanced position. And and it's all really starting to feel like this very unwelcomed prequel to The Handmaid's Tale that we're seeing like the seeds be planted of right now. I mean, this whole damn year is just one continuously looping terrible dystopian film that's just so badly written and like little <laughs> yeah. plot holes you know and i'm just afraid of what's going to happen here in the final act yeah i will say like the question for me is you know in all this awfulness that's happened in the last week one of the things that happened was again a reporter asked 45 whether or not he will abide by a peaceful transfer of power. And he said, basically, no. So we have this situation where, you know, voting or get out the vote and like, yeah, it it matters, of course, but it also doesn't matter in this other sense around like, you know, what do we do to prepare for an authoritarian dictator to maintaining power? Like, how do we, how do we face that while doing everything else that we need to be doing just, just huge questions. Um, and like, you know, like, like we all just said, like, uh, we were going to just have this great, great old conversation, but then like ton of crazy stuff happened over the last week. So, you know, 
every day is a blessing. Just waking up is a blessing at this point. Yeah. Do you do you guys mind if we uh, before we uh, get really totally into a different world? But if we say one thing that we found a little bit of gratitude for this last week, and I'd be happy to start. Um, but yeah, give you guys a second to prepare. Is that all right? Yeah, go for it. Um, I am just feeling grateful for one of my students. Um, she has been so stoked on learning and she, one of the questions got, uh, one of the questions that you got to pose at some point during the year is like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And she is just diehard set that she wants to be a ninja warrior. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not entirely sure what that means. That's as practical as anything else these days. (laughs) I know. And I'm just like, so, you know, and it's such a funny world these days because like I'm totally teaching online and the kids have computers and they have like access to call me at any time. And like, so like just before we started recording, she's, like called me up and was like, Hey, Mr. Peachtree, do you mind if I work on some extra math problems on page 63? You know, I'm like, yeah, what, <laughs> whatever you need, Ninja Warrior, you just like get after that addition, you know? So um, anyways, that was a real nice moment. Dang. I love that. Actually, like being a Ninja Warrior feels like way more practical than me writing letters of recommendation for students going into like social work school. So uh Thank you, Dave. That means a lot. Yeah, I have mine. Um, I have this friend who is just an amazing person, just absolutely revolutionary um, and has spent all over the world in the front lines in social movements and now has COVID and like is facing like all these hardships. Um, but she and I were able to have a conversation over the phone this week. And we talked about this great book. She gave me this recommendation about how to live in like these times, basically. Um, it's called Radical Hope. And it's about like the Crow, indigenous people of like what's known as Mount Montana and how they survived colonization. Um, so just, just, that we were able to connect and um, she's able to, I think things are going like a little bit better for her day by day. Um, I'm really grateful for that. Yeah. Well, I can share one, Dave and Bob. Um, I'll, uh, I think, you know, for me, I'm going to point to um, our son, Kai, who uh, both of you know, is, is just turned two about a month ago. And um it's very common apparently around this age or, or, you know, between two and three that, that a toddler will heavily favor one parent. And it's something that I've, I've found is referred to as mommy mania. So it's a little bit, you know, of a poorly named, um, I guess condition, but more of like a situation where literally the child will not let one parent do anything for her or him you know, from foreign milk to, to whatever. And, and, and Kai had been going through this for, um, no joke for, for about nine months. I mean, for almost like the, the duration of this, this pandemic. And, um, it's a very frustrating thing to deal with. And, and just to, to give you more context, I've been on the receiving end of not being wanted. And Al, my partner has been the, the, parent that has to really do a lot of the things for him and he just will not allow it otherwise. Um, and so, so it's a difficult thing. It's, it's something that on um, your hardest days you take very personally as the parent being rejected. And then your partner has to carry this, this much heavier load. So it's hard on them. And it's just something that that's difficult, but is, but it is a common trait. So I bring this up as a positive because this past week, it feels like we've kind of broken past that. And he's kind of back to letting daddy do things for him, which has been uh, a blessing in, in so many ways. So, you know, fingers crossed that, that it's going to keep going like that. But that's, that's my, uh, that's my rose for the week. <laughs> nice. That's huge. Ah, I love it. Love that kid. Good on Kai. Love that yeah. little, 
Love the phenom. That's what do we call him the future? Is that his nickname? We call him we call him the kid because he's the future. He's the future. There it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there it is. Uh all right, boys. I say we get in there and knock out some movies for those listeners out there. Yeah, we were on a good roll, a very good roll at this time last week. Oh yeah. But you know, we're gonna have to just like dust off the old I don't know. Uh, back of the receipt where I wrote my notes on and get get after it. I think a lot of us changed a few of my a few of our movies, so it, it it will be a little bit exciting. Do you guys mind if we stick to the same order? Is that all right? Yeah. Can you, can you remind us where we were at, Dave? I think I think we're gonna. Oh yeah, which Dave? Right. Um. Anyways, Dave. Dave. <laughs> Bob. Dave. Dave. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I think we're going to start with in the old genre of what did you call it last week, Dave? You want to get us going? Sure. Yeah. So I think we at this point had talked about climate, and um, so this is the next crisis that we we were referencing. Um, so I get, let's let's start there. And you know, we we talked last week about public health and economic, and then climate. And we'll talk about a couple others. And I think of all the ones that are colliding right now, to me, this one feels the most understated. You know, I mean, it's pretty evident that climate change prior to the to the recent wildfires uh, here in Colorado and, and California, Oregon. I mean, climate change was just not that front of mind during all this, and, uh, and it's kind of to be dis- expected as we, I think, as humans, we just have a limited capacity when it comes to prioritizing serious threats and risk. And so, um, but, you know, the, the pandemic and then the shelter in place orders, uh, they really kind of yielded some interesting near term climate effects. You know, like this past summer, we saw a historic drop in greenhouse gas emissions, uh, air pollution and smog were at, at, you know, lows within a couple months. And what the fires here in the U S should remind us is that Despite all that, the damage has really already been done. And without intervention and steps to combat climate change, we're kind of all doomed. And so when we think about this category of film of climate and the after effects of what's often a climate disaster in film, it's it's almost always a situation where it was just too late, you know? And so as an audience, we're always thrown into a world where characters are dealing with the post-apocalyptic environment. Um, and so you talked a little bit about this last week that that there's a whole genre here that's called cli-fi of climate fiction. And a lot of the dystopian movies in the sixties and the seventies dealt with this um, and, and often centered on like resource constraints as a result of some kind of climate, climate change uh, like Logan's run or the famously terrible Soylent Green, which <laughs> yeah. you, should, you should check it out. But there's a bad movie I want to talk about first. Okay. Yes. Okay. So I'm just going to cue this up and I'll just tell you, I'm going to tease it before I let you know what it is. It's not a good film. It's one of the most notorious box office flops ever, but, but it's memorable. And I was 11 years old when this came out. And I remember seeing this movie in the theater and it was a big deal. You know, when you're 11, remember going to the movie theater and it's, it's, it's exciting. And then the first two minutes of this movie are just stellar. And so here's what happens. Okay. First, the opening credits start to roll and they show the Universal Studios production logo. And so this is the one where they show like the slowly rotating earth and then the Universal logo swipes in over it. And then the logo fades and the land masses of the earth slowly fade into water. And here we go. Right? <laughs> yes. In the opening scene. Here's our here, here's our spoiler. Kevin Costner is on a boat, and you see him grab a jug. He pees in it, and then he pours it through some kind of filter or something, and he drinks it. So we're two for two in the first two minutes of this movie. It's it's amazing. And then the remaining two hours and fifteen minutes are are just painful, just excruciating. <laughs> so. Anyway, that movie is Waterworld, if you didn't figure that out yet. Uh, great. And I, I, just, I love it. Harris, can I say, <laughs> just for the record, this isn't your movie. This is more of like 
there is this movie that we have to talk about because it exists. Um, because I, me and the show notes team um, last week in our research, all, all the submissions were um, 92% on Rotten Tomato or higher. So I just want the, the listeners Whoa. to know that this isn't, this isn't the submission. It's more like this is pop culture. So we have to get this out of the way. Yeah. But if you are looking for some balance, you know, in those Rotten Tomato scores, this would be a good one to throw in to just <laughs> balance us out. So, yeah. Anyway, that that's not the movie I wanted to talk about. Uh, the, the one I did want to talk about, I imagine, is probably up there with the ones we, we discussed last week. Uh, in my opinion, one of the best movies that was made over the last decade, um, a movie called Mad Max Fury Road from 2015. Nice, nice. And uh, so you're, we're in this future version of Australia, and it's, so it's where the other Mad Max movies took place. And mm-hmm. it, it's a world, as you both recall, reduced to just this endless desert uh, due to severe drought. And if you saw the original Mad Max movies back in the 70s, and I think one was in the 80s, they were all about a dystopian world grappling with a limited precious commodity, which back then was oil. And, you know, back in, in that time, that was a big concern just socially. Um, but in Fury Road, that resource shifts to water. And the people that control that limited resource have all the power. And in this case, you have this sort of tyrannical overlord that controls everybody by limiting access to water. So this is just a, you know, visually stunning movie. It's basically one long chase scene. And um, it's also, I think, of the climate movies, one that feels really not that distant in the future in some ways, just given mm-hmm. the environmental catalyst of drought, you know, we're experiencing mega droughts across the globe. And, and that, that's, you know, obviously something that contributed to wildfires in, in California in recent years. Yeah. I love that movie, Dave. I, I believe it was up for an Oscar and I'm notorious for telling Julie that movies that are <laughs> just not up for Oscars are up for Oscars. So I'm, I'm probably wrong that it was like nominated, but, like infamously, I told her that Mission Impossible Four was up for an Oscar, and it it was it was not nowhere close. Uh, that's, a, that's a good truly, gamble, though. Could have been like sound <laughs> editing or something. <laughs> no, that, I was like, your best picture. Hey, you know, I, I uh, believe it. Has a, I, a a fourth movie in a like sequence ever been up for best picture? Oh, that's a good question. Would you consider Batman Begins the fourth movie of that? No, that would have to be like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Never mind, forget it. What about what about Waterworld Four? Return <laughs> Waterworld. Yeah, uh, I think that was called Davy Jones's Locker. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, <laughs> no, but yeah, I love Mad Max because there's that like it's just like such a. Like you said, it's a visually like amazing movie, and I love when they that movie switches to night, and it just like it feels like it glows almost, and like it's almost. I think they filmed it. The night scenes like typically are ne- are never filmed at night, but I know that movie in particular was filmed at like the heat of the day, and it's just like they put a blue filter over it. I just love watching the chase at the end in that night. Anyways, yeah, thanks, thanks for that one, Dave. That one was on my mind a lot this week as well. Um. If you guys don't mind, I'm just going to crank right into mine, my, uh, my cli-fi. Um, I just really want to give a nod to all the movies that are not uh, live action. I feel like so often in this dystopia world, we are tending to go towards like live action movies. And, you know, there's like movies like Isle of Dog that I thought about talking about where you know they it takes place on trash island and it's this claymation movie by wes anderson um but and i guess i just feel like i needed to talk about anime and like what's happening in anime and i feel like the movie that came to mind for me first was this movie called ghost in the shell which is like this amazing movie um and it's been remade so many times, right? So, like, originally Ghost in the Shell was, uh, like, a manga. And before that, like, the manga was, like, heavily inspired by Foucault. And, like, they made this amazing anime um, that 
sort of deals with like you know the human soul can re- be reborn into different like robotic bodies and then they remade that and into a movie with Scarlett Joe and that is also like the total basis of where the movie the matrix is made from um and i just think i really wanted to give a shout out to ghost in the shell because i think it's a movie that's highly worth watching but um Oh yeah, and another movie that fits in this category as well is Wally, which is like a beautiful movie on Cli-Fi and total I mean we've all seen it, but I really just wanted to mention like one of my favorite all-time movies which is Princess Mononoke and it is this movie um by Kurosawa and no Miyazaki, sorry. Um <laughs> uh it's by uh Miyazaki and he is like kind of like the godfather of you know anime and he yeah princess mononoke is my favorite of his movies and it takes place with this kid in a village who there's like this creeping plague that is coming to the village and it turns out that this it, like from a far distant land, there's like this mining that's happening in this place called Iron Town, and they're mining with this like strip mining technique that's like destroying the the forest. And yeah, I don't know. I don't think I need to give a whole lot more, but just um, the spirit of the forest is strong in this movie, and it feels like to mention another almost famous hero, Billy Crudup. And voicing the main character of Ashitaka is, he just does a phenomenal job. And I just think it's like a tale that's as old as time, like seeing the hero from the village arise, but also seeing the forest and the spirit of the forest come alive and like fight Iron Town. But the ending is really where it like totally flips everything on its head. And just like, I can't watch that movie and not just like sob at the end. So, um, yeah. Princess Mon- Mononoke is my cli-fi movie for the week. Man, I can't wait to watch it. Is that is that the same same guy that did Spirited Away? Yeah, yeah, it is. This, so, yeah, he does Spirited Away, and he also did another movie. I think his so Spirited Away is amazing, and you should also watch Howl's Moving Castle. Those are like his top three, and I think all of them are like came out year after year, and they're just like the most phenomenal movies to watch in the anime category so yeah check it out yeah i would say that i think he has like 10 movies out there and yeah i think for me princess mononoke is is yeah definitely for me the best one and a a good one in cli-fi absolutely um it actually kind of reminds me of my pick um but i wanted to give dave dave harris a chance to respond well i was just gonna i was just curious you know, does Billy Crudup at any point say, I dig music? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, man. I don't know if the listeners need us to get into almost famous references at this point. <laughs> yeah, we'll save it for the end. Yep. Yeah, that will be good. Yep. Well, um, actually, you know, this is just such a good session that we're already. So far through, I don't, I don't think I'm going to spend too much time on my pick, but I, I do want to name it. It's, it's actually not like what one would think of as cli-fi. It focuses so much more on like, human interaction with non-human animals. And it is about, which is also what Princess Mononoke is about. Um, but this movie as Dave Maisler informed me, was like a big movie in the in the world. It like had an impact on the way that movies get made at Netflix. This one's from I think 2015, and it's from our personal uh, one of our favorite directors, uh, Bong Joon Ho. And this movie is Okja. I'm just realizing that. In the edited version this week, we don't have as many movies by Bong this week, but <laughs> which makes it more important that I bring this one in because yes, good. <laughs> it's a killer movie in the ways in which this uh, young Korean girl befriends this giant genetically modified pig creature, 
that's like, you know, a hundred times bigger than her, but it's sweet, gentle. They have this wonderful relationship. And this, this corporation is genetically modifying these creatures for their meat. Um, so it, it's really about like the human relationship with the rest of the world and how we are. We're in this climate situation because of the ways that capitalism has um, commodified um, food and um, like turned animals into, you know, one of the biggest reasons that climate change is happening is because of, you know, these massive farms like cow farms and pig farms across the world. So, um, yeah, really important movie, really hard to watch. Please like it, Yeah. Don't watch this. If you know, you know, be careful with it because it, it's pretty brutal, but, um, that is my pick for climate. And, uh, if, if you two want to respond, uh, please, but we can also, um, go right into our next category, which is mental health as well. Yeah, that sounds good. I, I hope we hear hear some more Bong Joon Ho though. That's yeah, <laughs> fingers crossed. Yeah, yeah. For our but, listeners, this is the director who did Parasite and also um, Snowpiercer. Snowpiercer. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. He also was just named the in the. I think it's Time Magazine every year does like the 100 most influential people. Bong Joon-ho. I don't know what number he was, but he was in there. Top 100. I believe it. Yeah. Love it. Nice. He's like, yeah, multiple revolutionary in, in the world of cinema. Yeah. Well, why don't I push this into mental health? And to tell you the truth, I don't, I don't have one for this category. So I'm going to kick it over to one of the Daves. Dave, you want to you wanna go? Yeah. I... I don't mind going. Um, okay. I do want to get, I, I, so I've just been like, just like deciding why I decided to pick this movie, but I'm not, I'm not changing, not for anybody at this right. point. And I've talked it over with the, the thriving crew here. And I'm just like, I don't really know why it fits into the category of mental health. Um, the movie is made famous for Colin Farrell and his dad, Bod. And got to make sure to mention his dad, Bod, because it is the movie Lobster. And I I was reminded of this scene. Like I woke up, sometimes I have these vivid dreams. And I woke up where I was thinking about um, the scene where Colin Farrell sees an old friend. And <laughs> I'm just like trying to describe some of the absurdity of this movie. And the old friend has like a daughter. And he's like, oh, hey. It's nice to see you. And they're both like walking on the beach. It's like, hey, this is an old friend of mine. Go give him a kiss. And the daughter goes up to Colin Farrell and Colin Farrell says, I don't want to kiss a little girl. Why would I want to do that? And then he kicks her in the shin and then he walks away. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, what is like, oh my God, that's ridiculous, Colin. And I think that like the movie is just like filled with these like absurd statements that are done at like complete deadpan. And I guess I feel like that just like, it's like, Whoa, what is happening? But like, really, I like made this like conclusion that like all, all of what's being said is like this inner monologue that we, we all kind of have constantly going on in our head. Right. This like monologue of like another example that I like, saw i watched a like little clip of like the trailer and there's a woman and she's like sitting on the bus and they're all going on this hunt together and she says if i don't catch someone today i'm gonna throw myself off a building and then it like just cuts you know um and yeah i feel like there's this deadpan throughout the whole movie and it's like we are like taken aback to hear this, like people talking like this, because we're like, what is happening here? Um, and so to, to describe what's actually happening is it's this alternate or it's this dystopian world where um, people that are single are put in an institution where they are like, they need to mate with somebody else and they're given 45 days to find a partner. And if you don't find a partner in those 45 days, then you're turned into an animal of your choice. And there's this like subplot that's going on that like people that escape the institution, um, they are like in the wild and they're like these fiercely like single people 
that are like single to the core and like you can't even like touch someone else. And um, yeah, I was also just like reminded of this other part of the lobster where like you have to like find something that you have in common with someone else to become a couple. And like the things that people choose to identify with are like, I remember like one of the persons like is known for nose bleeding <laughs> and, and it's like, Oh yeah, I'm a nose bleeder. So I need to find someone whose nose bleeds. And like, they have this connection. This like, these like two people they're like oh yeah they have this super hard connection but one guy like has to fake that he gets nosebleeds all the time and so he like starts hitting his head on the table to like get nosebleeds whenever she's not looking you know yeah it's like a really actually interesting question and I feel the psychology around like does this movie count as mental health because what you're saying is i mean people are acting just basically um they're not you know doing what what the status quo is what what's normal basically and they're disrupting what is normal by being deadpan um and of course this whole idea of turning it into an animal is like very not normal so you know that which we um categorize as abnormal gets turned into a pathology gets turned into like um you're crazy or you know all that so it 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 it, de- it like plays with these ideas of what is like quote unquote sane and because you know some of the most for me the sanest people in that movie are those like refugees like the or like the the, the rebellion but then they have their own issues going on as well so yeah, I, I think it's like this overall can can be read as this overall critique of how we deal with like things that we are outside of quote unquote normal. So that's why I I love that you're bringing in. Mm, good, yeah, that's all about that's about all I had to say as well. If and I'm sure Dave has a few nice things to say about lobster because it's one of our favorites. Of course. Of course. Yeah, you know, I think Bob's right. I mean, it's it's one that wouldn't initially come to mind about mental health, but I, I see why you selected it. And, you know, in a way, Colin Farrell's character in that movie is, is actually still very hopeful. You know, it, it, he, he chooses a lobster, you know, he says, because they live to be a hundred years old and they remain fertile throughout their life. You know, he's not like given up hope on life. He's just accepted that his life's going to change and his, his mental state's going to have to shift as a result. By the way, I did some some in-depth research on this. Turns out it's actually 100% true. Lobsters live to 100 and they remain for <laughs> their life. So, so now there's some lobster knowledge that you can file away for a rainy day. Yeah, yeah for our listeners, uh, Dave Maisler, or Dave Peachtree brought this in last week and we just had to think about it. There's mm-hmm. something we had to think about it for, for the last week. Yeah, good. Good work, boys. Uh David boy, what you got for us? Yeah, you know, Dave, I'm I'm in the same boat. Uh, ain't nothing going to change me, and I'm going to go with a, a film called Synecdoche, New York. Um, and so here is a movie by Charlie Kaufman. I think up there with Bong Joon Bong Joon Ho, in my my opinion, you know, of being John Malkovich and Eternal Sunshine fame. And and this movie is kind of like a kindred spirit where where being John Malkovich was this dark comedy about being able to literally get inside of someone else's mind, eternal sunshine, you know, dark comedy about erasing parts of your own mind. Synecdoche is really just plain dark. It's hard to argue it's a comedy and, but it involves the main character really just ultimately getting lost completely inside of his own mind. And the, the movie has a lot going on. Um, but the plot centers on, Philip Seymour Hoffman's character and, and Dave, this is quite the retreat from Lester Bangs. Okay. It's, <laughs> it's, it's a very different. Tone. Nice. Uh, well, well, well woven in. Yeah. Yeah. So, so PSH in this movie, he's a theater director and uh, you know, lots to unpack here, but to summarize it, he goes through this trauma in his personal life. His wife leaves, takes his daughter 
And then he subsequently receives this MacArthur Genius Grant. And then he uses that to fund this grand theater production. And, and that production becomes this endless display of self-reflection of his pain. And it just really spirals from there. And he's, he's basically not, not always satisfied with the production. So he goes deeper and deeper. He hires actors that play all of the characters from his personal life, all the people you've met earlier in the film, like his wife, daughter, mistress. And then he hires actors later to play the first wave of actors. And then he hires actors to play this, the, the second wave, you know, and so on and so on until he literally fills an enormous airplane hangar with its own version of New York City. And then inside of the hangar is another version of New York City with actors playing the actors, playing the actors. You get it. So it's just crazy, like Russian doll production of just go, and it just goes on for decades. And it's never clear if this is real or just in the mind of Philip Seymour Hoffman's character or what. And, you know, I, I think of this because we talk about mental health and really the, the mental health challenges that. I think a lot of people are facing, you know, as a ripple effect of the pandemic and, and really how, how separation from others is perpetuating a lot of the mental strain and, and, and depression. I think this film is really a, a deep, deep dive into the creative mind. And what, what I think of it as almost like an escape from reality, that was probably just too much to handle for for his character. And so that's what you see, see displayed. That movie like affected me when I saw it and I never saw it coming. I saw it in the um, UCSC trailer park one night, the parkies were playing it and something about that recursive like world within a world within a world just really spoke to me. Um, I don't know why, but I, so I love this selection, Dave. And yeah, yeah, it is my, my favorite Charlie Kaufman movie. Yeah. You know, I'll recommend for listeners that are really, looking to get into this. If you have the time and the willingness, watch this movie twice back to back. And it's, it's, it's what I did the first time I watched it. And I didn't plan on doing that, but I almost needed to rewatch it after I saw the ending to kind of figure out what I missed. And it was um, quite the experience. Love it, Dave. I think we've got a lot, lot left to do in this episode. So going to move us to our our last category and that category is racism um and the ways that uh basically the system is you know 400 years of unending inequality and white supremacy and you know this is uh, it's like so interesting in the world of film because after we talked about this last week, you know, I think I know Dave, Dave, Dave Peachtree changed his, his, his movie because the movie that he selected is, is fascinating, but it shows the way that the white imagination has like failed within dystopias that if you don't mind me ruining this Dave, because you, you've changed your pick. We talked about Gattaca, which, which is a great, it's a great movie in, in a lot of ways, but it's a movie in which like difference is shifted from racial difference to um, basically like genetic difference. And the, the problem with that is that it, it, pretends as if racism has been solved in this future society, which is uh, a failure of a lot of dystopian movies that like it, they bypass race um, as if it's not a thing anymore. Even the great movies like children of men, um, they don't really deal like, it, I guess children of men partially deals with it, with it, with the immigration crisis, but it also is like a multiracial coalition that, that acts as if, they've gotten over racism. So with all that said, I'm going to enter my, my selection for this week. I entered two, but I'm all, last week. I'm only going to do one this week. And it's a 2017 movie called get out that I hope a lot of people have seen. And 
it shines a light on a present and it, it you know like it's not a future society it's, it's right now and it tries to give this picture into what it feels like to live in u.s society as a black person and it starts with uh an interracial couple, a black man and a white woman. And this black man gets invited by his partner to her parents' house for the weekend. And that starts this deepening catastrophe for him of um, things start to get weirder and weirder at her parents' house. Um, And it's uh, a situation where I'm actually not going to spoil it. But it's it's as if like when you go into white spaces as a person of color, things seem like okay, but actually at a deeper level, there's some really fucked up stuff going on. And um actually this is sort of like ushered in like all these great movies that have a, a strong racial analysis, like uh um you know, in 2018, Black Panther and Moonlight and um, Sorry to Bother You. So, yeah, Get Out, killer movie and my selection. Can I just share a quick aside? I am not very good at watching thrillers. And this is definitely like keeps you on the edge of an edge of your seat for a while, you know? And I feel like I have this memory of watching it when I was living in Mexico and I had five different stomach viruses at the same time, including uh, Giardia and E. coli and three others I can't remember. Um, But I just remember I I was, Julie was watching it in our bedroom and I had to leave the room, but I still wanted to watch it. So I was watching it from the kitchen. (laughs) It was a great, anyways, I love that movie and that scene of me just like feeling so sick and watching that movie was uh just like integral anyways thanks bob yeah intersecting stomach viruses that's a dystopia dave (laughs) yeah (laughs) so it had an effect on you dave that's what you're saying yeah to say the least yeah now do you want to share next dave sure yeah well bob you know i I think you you hit right on that this i think this category has never really been well reflected, but what I'll just comment about get out. I think what makes that great for a lot of reasons is, you know, it's a reflection of the folks that make the film. Right. And Hollywood is mostly white people in power and director roles. And so with, with get out, you have people of color, um, you know, writing the scripts, shooting the movie, directing it. And, and I think you, you actually see that reflected in the film and so this this is certainly a harder category to select from, um, but as I was sort of um, considering a, a movie for this category, I was reminded of, of one I saw a long time ago, just once, um, but I kind of reread about it, and it's a movie called Strange Days, and this in particular I think is relevant as it involves police brutality as one of the central themes of the movie, and so... It's uh, it's based in ni- or, or it's it, the the movie was came out in 1995, and it's set right before New Year's Eve in 1999. So remember the Y2K phenomenon, and so it's in a very tense Los Angeles, um, and technology plays a critical role in, in this as well. And that's something we talked about when we queued up the framework for this last week. So the central character of the movie, he's an ex-cop, but he's now this sort of hustler dealer that slings something on the streets called squid. And squid is essentially a virtual reality video of someone else's actual experience. So it records and then plays back the visual, the audio, and then the cerebral responses from this first person point of view. And so these have made their way into the black market and people are becoming addicted to these experiences. So the, the videos, the, the VR technology in the film was originally created for law enforcement. So it's almost like, like body cams to provide accountability. Um, but then, you know, they find their way to, to other uses. 
But then the plot pushes forward as a, a video uh, is discovered of police murdering a political activist and a musician who, who's a black man. And should that video get out, you know, it would cause massive riots in an already sort of simmering city. So, you know, this movie came out in 1995. It's based in L.A. This is just a couple of years after you know the beating of Rodney King by by L.A. police. It was caught on camera, was widely seen and then sparked, you know, the L.A. riots. So that was obviously central to to the filmmakers. But it obviously also calls to mind, you know, the George Floyd murder earlier this year, which was caught on video, watched by many and sparked, you know, warranted protests or Ahmaud Arbery, you know, was profiled and shot by racist assholes in Georgia uh, or countless other examples. And, and so this movie has a lot happening in it, which I'd mostly forgotten about. But in rereading it, something that made it unique for, you know, 1995, which is interesting, was you had these two main characters. One was a white man who's the ex-cop played by Ralph Fiennes and then a black woman played by Angela Bassett. And what makes this unique is Angela Bassett's character really becomes more of the savior. You know, she's more of the physical force in the movie. And that was something kind of counter to a lot of what you, you'd seen in film uh, to date. So it's, it's, a, it's a weird movie. I, I definitely want to rewatch it because it's been a while, but it's something that felt very, you know, very present for, for what we're, we're experiencing right now. Dang, David, mm. that sounds like a great find or like a great movie to bring back to like to look at. Yeah, everything is fascinating in, in a lot of different ways. And it's like a like deep in the vault type of find because I, I vaguely remember he, like hearing about it, but I've definitely not seen that movie. So, yeah, great pick. Yeah, it's very 90s. You know, you'll you'll appreciate the nineties of it. You know I will. I'm I'm yep. big into nostalgia. Um, so I guess I'm just gonna kick right into mine. And yeah, as as Bob said, I definitely was like trying to think of Gattaca in the form of like racism and it wasn't quite fitting for me. And I you know, another movie that I think bears mentioning, or it's not really a movie, but it's a mini series is the handmaid's tale. And I feel like that movie does a very similar thing where they sort of erase racism because they presuppose that like the pandemic of infertility is more meaningful than race and that race has been solved. Um, whether it's been solved or whether like something else has like banded us together. Um, yeah. And I feel like. Another movie that, uh, or it was a book that came up for me was Ender's Game. And I was like, oh yeah, like, you know, they're kind of like, it's like this weird racism thing that's happening against them and aliens. And I was like, well, but that's like so silly to like have this, like you have to make the, the enemy or the, like the, the persecuted people into a alien mutant bug to make it be like, this is like how we're seeing people. And I, I mean, I think the allegory makes some sense and like, it like puts a new lens on things, but um, yeah, I just like was really struggling and of, I do want to mention that like the movie slash miniseries that I feel like deals with race better than any dystopia um, that I, that I've ever seen is um, the Watchmen, the new, um, I believe it's the HBO series. Yeah. Um, and I just love Watchmen so much. And I feel like they like, yeah, they just are like taking it to the next level. And I'm super excited that they got picked up for a season two because I feel like Watchmen, yeah, is just like, I, I mean, the whole, I've talked about it a little bit on this show before, but um, it's just like totally sparked by Ferguson and what happened in 2016. And they like put it into this lens of like the comic book that made it just like amazing. Anyways, watch that. But I guess I wanted to really leave us on a, a note of hope. And yeah, I came across, I was just reminded of this like whole genre that's called Afrofuturism. And it's this idea that like, it's kind of blending like, uh, like a black culture that's been like stamped out by oppression and um, death and is like taking it 
into this hopeful realm of like sci-fi and like we yes like black people in this country and people of color have had their has like have a genocide that have happened against them and that has made it so like the past has been erased but we from that past that's been erased, we look to a future of hope. And I feel like there is, I am not super well versed in like Afrofuturism, but that's definitely like, I mean, most notably in pop culture, we can see like a movie like Black Panther that comes from this idea of Afrofuturism. But I did come across this like song that I think I'm going to play over for our end credits this week. And it's a song by a band called, um, Oh, I lost the name of the band. The band is called uh, Clipping, and uh, the performer, the main, the main performer of this hip hop group is David Diggs from Hamilton fame, and it's it's a pretty cool little song. It's pretty long, so um, but I think you're gonna love it, and especially if you like David Diggs. But it's like they took this like 1990s Detroit elect- electro band called. Uh, Drexia and they took like Drexia is this band that I don't know much about, but they have this whole mythology that they like made up and it's this like whole Afrofuturism mythology that is basically like, um, like back in the, like in the slave ship days, they used to throw like pregnant women overboard or they would throw the babies overboard. And the idea is that these babies that got thrown overboard on the slave ships they formed a new Atlantis and this Atlantis, like they lived and they like formed gills and they formed this like beautiful society, like underwater. And they've been living there for the past 400 years. And yeah, I think you guys are going to really enjoy this song. Um, I'm not going to play it for Bob and Dave, but I think it's worth a listen. And I just think it's like this, I don't know. It's pretty hopeful. And I feel like Afrofuturism is like a nice little, uh, it's like a genre that I feel like we should all um, be inspired to check out because I feel like it is like a very much like filled with, I don't know. It just feel, it's just filled with hope. And I just feel like we need that right now. Anyways, I just wanted to share that with y'all. That's great, Dave. I, I, I don't know that song in particular, but I've been listening to that band a bit and uh, yeah, I, it's, I, I didn't realize the backstory there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The song is called The Deep. I didn't say that yet, did I? But it, it's called The Deep. Um, and yeah, it's going to be good. So we'll we'll play it for our outro song this week. So you won't hear uh, Julie's sweet voice, but um, you will hear David Diggs. So that's a pretty good trade this week. Yeah, that's great, Dave. I love like you bringing that into my consciousness. I didn't know about that band at all. And I'll just say my take on Afrofuturism the hope that it brings in is it's, it's, it's like it definitely like not the typical hope because it's not like a white hope. Um, the hope for me is around like, like the, the system has to fall apart, you know? Um, the hope is like that the system can start falling apart. And those who have been like at the front lines of oppression, have a chance um and those who are like perpetuating oppression will finally like you know meet meet their their maker or something like that so it's like it is a i agree it's a hope but it's one that like a lot of people a lot of especially white people have a hard time accepting whoo boy that was a good one i'm glad that we got this chance to re-record boys yeah but we we have awesome. one more one more thing we have to do, even though oh. we're at fifty five. We have to talk about the state of cinema. Oh yes. yeah. And um for me, this is around like every time I walk by a movie theater, I'm just my heart breaks. I mm. hate seeing these movie theaters you know, being closed, especially the independent ones and of course, I, I totally realize why, and it makes sense. It just, I, I like dearly miss that experience of going to a movie theater and watching a new movie collectively. This idea of like 
we're, we're watching something together that we might talk about later. Um, we're all being like transformed in the same moment together. And so, yeah, I just wondered how it's been for you two as such, um, like deep cinema people. Yeah, Bob, I'm, I'm with you. You know, I, I, I think about like the independent movie theaters or, you know, more of the smaller indie movie theaters. And I, I worry about their future, you know, and, you know, but, but also like a hundred years ago, movie theaters dealt with a similar kind of challenge, you know, during the Spanish flu pandemic movie theater shut down. And that was where people got a lot of that entertainment, you know, and it, you know, I was, I was reading about it the other day and they actually responded in, in kind of an eerily similar way to how current theaters seem to be responding. So a hundred years ago, you know, they set up social distancing barriers and they advertised claim, claiming to install better airflow and that they would clean and sanitize. And those theaters eventually came back and, you know, of course, of course succeeded. But the difference now is that consumers have this sort of multitude of safer, more cost-effective options to get the same product. And it's a different experience, but but it's hard to imagine that the theaters are going to come back the way they did, you know, a hundred years ago, just given what's happened with, with video on, dena- on demand and how that's been really accelerated by, by the pandemic. Um, you know, I mentioned this last week, but I, I, I just think about this uh, a lot like from what we saw in print media and uh, newspapers and you, you just now have this new, much more efficient medium that's come about. And at the end of the day, consumers are going to prefer convenience. And I, I, I worry about movie theaters future. I think the big ones will survive. They'll figure it out. But I worry about the independent ones. Absolutely. Yeah. Well said. Good stuff, Good yeah. Stuff. yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Dave. He, oh, I I don't know. I was just like filled with a few images of hope because um, I guess that's where I'm at right now of like, I do love the ingenuity and creativity of people of like projecting movies onto the like the sides of buildings that have been happening during uh, COVID. And I feel like I'm with you. I like my heart breaks. And I do know that like, we are consumers and like we've probably consumed more Netflix and Amazon and HBO than ever before. Um, this year has like been a boon for them, but yeah, I just feel like, uh, I don't know. I'm hoping that like from these like people that are like projecting movies onto the sides of buildings, like that could be like the new, while that like, isn't like the a new movie theater, like it could be this like new boon for like how we like connect with each other. So I don't know. I'm hopeful. I have some hope for us and like what this, how we can be like flexible and adapting and find like the new community movie theater. And maybe it will like kind of rock the socks off. Like what, what it, what movies like these small independent movie theaters were, where they're like so independent and there's free and they're like grassroots and like little filmmakers will like kind of like put their like movies up and they'll feel like these hopeful moments. So I don't know. That's my hope. I appreciate your hope, Dave. I do. Yeah. 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 I think there's this wow. like empty lot somewhere in the outskirts of Denver where Mad yeah. Max would just be great, where you, we could just <laughs> really get into it there. I, I, you got a date, Bob and Dave. I'm with you. Tell me Good in. stuff. Um, you know, we're, I think we're sort of towards the end, and because we ran a bit long this week, I think I'm going to suggest we not do the hot seat, um, because I think the hot seat – as if I remember correctly, it was more for us last week than, than the listeners. <laughs> I'd say that was right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. How um, about this? Yeah. It just means that we have to have Dave back on the show at some point and we'll get him on the hot seat later. Okay. Oh uh, yeah. That's a great plan. I love that. Yeah. Have me back for the Bong Joon Ho episode and I'll come prepared. 
<laughs> what about the TLC episode? You coming back for that oh, one? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm definitely in for that. I've, I've you know mentioned a, I watched a lot of behind the music back in the day. So let's just say if you need uh, if, if you need an expert, uh, I'll be your guy. Love it. Awesome. Um, well, beautiful. I think I will just quickly have uh, Bob hit up those social medias and then we'll get you set up for one of the best uh, six minutes that you're ever going to hear by David Diggs. Good stuff, Dave. Yeah. Well, you can contact us through email at DavePeachTree at gmail.com. You can hit us up. Um, retweet us at Twitter. Um, we're at B Maze M A Z E nineteen. Instagram is thriving underscore in underscore dystopia, and we have a website. Thanks to our good friend Mixer, a thriving in dystopia dot com. Love it. All right, boys. Thanks for everything. Catch you. Catch you next time. Thanks, guys. Thanks Love so you. much for coming, in, Dave. Yep. Anytime. Love you guys. Bye. Our mothers were pregnant African women thrown overboard while crossing the Atlantic Ocean on slave ships. We were born breathing water as we did in the womb. We built our home on the seafloor, unaware of the two-legged surface dwellers, until their world came to destroy ours. With cannons, they searched for oil beneath our cities. Their greed and recklessness forced our uprising. Tonight, we remember. Y'all remember how deep it go? Started from the bottom. Y'all remember how deep it go? For y'all had to come back deep. Y'all remember when it used to be deep? So deep, so, so deep, ayy. When y'all swim about y'all mama while y'all mama was asleep? So deep, so, so deep, ayy. And y'all remember when y'all had the dance floor lit? Dark, no two-step deep, y'all don't even sweat deep, as deep as it gets, dreaming dead asleep and keeping time, y'all heartbeat deep, y'all heartbeat deep, and all the fishes had their eyes bugged out, cause y'all dancing underwater and y'all don't get wet, and the dark smelled sweet, and y'all tails touch reef, y'all feed off the bottom, but now y'all remember. Still y'all loved a little bit of light up in the deep So deep, so, so deep, ayy Y'all remember saying how it couldn't be them two legs Cause y'all came from two legs And y'all mamas would've loved y'all if they could've breathed But they wasn't ready for the deep So deep, so, so deep, ayy Y'all remember when the first blast came And the beat fell off And the dreams got woke And the light bent bad And the fishes belly up And them coral castles crumbled Cause they wasn't quite enough And conversation used to break Like the floor quaked Like the bleached bones And the thin friends fled from their home But the blast wouldn't stop Cause they wanted black gold And them no-gills had to feel it Cause they couldn't be told Change that no please, no calm seas, let the water rise. So deep, so, so deep. Oil slick upon the sleeper was an awful thing to realize. If the two legs want to wake the dead, they gon' have to bring more fire. Y'all is closer to the earth, so deep. And y'all was talking how to get up in their heads and got to being real inspired. Circumstances of the birth has got y'all feeling like an army. Better yet a navy, and they gone, gave y'all the blessing. Now y'all going crazy. They live with green upon the surface, but they ain't deep. That pistol shrimp and knock a two leg off his feet. Y'all perfecting the steam void to rip up their ships. They using sonar as second language. Y'all fluent with it. And all the dreamers is woke now with nightmares swim. But everybody heard that bloop. No, y'all coming for them.
out, ay, no deep, no more deep. Y'all remember when the call went out, ay, no deep, no more deep. Y'all remember feeling wind up on your skin, no deep, no more deep. Y'all remember how it burned in the beginning, no deep, right on, right on, right on. Y'all remember seeing sun across the surface on the day that y'all first came about the water, so, so deep. How the breaking of the surface showed the sky without a border and the air was so much hotter, so, so deep. How the woke dreamer screamed and it rose ties and the waves stretched up like a mountain high. And the no gills gasped and they closed eyes and they prayed to their gods and they asked why. And then y'all cried too, cause y'all recognized mama in the faces of the ones that y'all would terrorize. They were sisters and brothers, they were the babies born about the water, not connected to each other, not a knowledge of the one drop, but they had to learn today. Y'all at one shot, let the sun burn today. Let them feel the dark even deeper today. Make a true leg a believer today. Let them know that they done woke a sleeper from a sleep. So deep. The job been dancing without any feet. So, so deep. Is the nerve that they struck with a blast that they broke with a drill that they burnt with the gas. Y'all remember? So deep. Sunshine. Y'all remember? So deep. Sunshine. Y'all remember? So deep. Sunshine. Y'all remember when y'all had to let them breathe? Ride on. Aye. Initiating tidal wave sequence. Uniform. Romeo. Zero. Three. Zero.